Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Jensen is going to read the text for us, Galatians 5, 19 through 25. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are faithful have vanished from the human race. That's how David starts Psalm 12. He says, Everyone lies, everyone flatters, everyone deceives. That which is vile is honored by the human race. Help, Lord, no one is faithful anymore. That same heartbroken sentiment has been echoed by many of us, frustrated, cursing in our cars or scribbling in journals or echoing these kinds of words over angst, over drinks with friends, lamenting. And when our hearts are rocked by one more piece of bad news of someone that we trusted who blew it, we feel this same deep frustration and groaning in our souls. Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are faithful have vanished from the human race. People that we trusted uh, abuse their power. Folks we could count on broke their covenants. We naturally begin to wonder, is faithfulness even possible anymore? We've been studying the fruits of the Spirit this summer, looking at love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Next week, we'll look at gentleness, and then we'll close out with self-control at the end of August before we transition to the next thing. But today, we're looking at faithfulness. Uh, in, in my parents' generation, or in certainly the generations that preceded them, the presidency was revered. It was unassailable until Nixon's role in Watergate. And I remember in the mid-90s when I was a preteen, some of you were like, wow, he's very young. <laughs> so I'm growing the beard to deceive all of you to be a little bit older. But I remember being a preteen and the scandal around uh, President Clinton uh, broke as infidelity and his deceit came to light. And jaded Gen Xers who were kind of growing up with all of this in their parents' memory and their own lifetimes came of age assuming unfaithfulness, assuming that we couldn't completely trust our leaders as we got more intimate looks into their lives. Who can we trust? Well, definitely not politicians. 
In the last three decades, we've seen the boom of uh, the, the megachurch and the boom of the influence of people like me who wear microphones on their faces and some of whom lead these big and influential institutions. And the grandeur of their ascent was matched at times by the painful and destructive calamity of their descent as what had been lurking in the shadows of their lives, sometimes repressed by non-disclosure agreements, broke in to the light. Names that were synonymous with trust, you can probably think of some of those right now. You at one point had their books on your shelf. Names that had been synonymous with trust were suddenly rebranded or recast in our collective stories as the villains. And the consequences of this kind of unfaithfulness have been many. Who can we trust? Well, not our politicians. Some would say not our pastors, not our priests, not those who lead the church. Some of us have lost faith in parents or we've lost faith in the leaders of the institutions that are important to us or other people that we looked up to. And as a result, not only do we find it difficult to trust people, we also lose faith in those institutions that those people inhabit. One of the most influential books for me that I've read in the last five years is called A Time to Build by Yuval Levin. It's a really, really great book. And Yuval Levin in this book says that we tend to trust institutions when we believe that they're forming people in accordance with the ideals of that institution. We tend to trust institutions, think the church, think uh, higher education, think uh, your profession. We tend to trust those institutions when we believe that they're forming people who are living in alignment with the ideals of that institution. He says one of the most important ways that institutions accomplish excuse me, this task of formation, of shaping us, is by giving each of us a role and thereby a shape or form in the world. Bless you. Healthy institutions often function as molds for the people inside of them. So we're given this role by the institution. So we pour ourselves into it, into our family, our community, our, our work, our school, and in doing so, we begin to take the institution's shape. We fill roles, and that helps us understand our obligations and responsibilities, our privileges and benefits, our purposes and connections. It moves us, the role that we inhabit in some kind of institution, it moves us to ask how we ought to think and behave with reference to a world beyond ourselves. We ask ourselves, given my role here, how should I act? We trust the institution. Think church is an institution. Marriage is an institution. We trust these institutions if we think they are helpfully and healthily shaping the people in it according to the ideals of that institution. We stop trusting institutions, on the other hand, when we no longer believe that they're forming people according to the ideals of the institution but they're instead using their role within the institution as a platform for self-expression or as a vehicle just to get their own needs met. Levin again. He says, when we don't think of our institutions as formative, but as performative, when the presidency and Congress or parenthood or marriage or vocational ministry are just stages for self-expression or self-satisfaction, when a university becomes a venue for vain virtue signaling, 
when journalism is indistinguishable from activism, they become harder to trust. They aren't really asking for our confidence just for our attention. And many of our most significant social, political, cultural, and intellectual institutions are in the process of going through this transformation from mold, something that shapes us according to ideals and values, to platform, something that's here just for us to become celebrities or us to get happy. These institutions have become ways for us to shine and be seen, not ways for us to be transformed by an ethic we share with others. Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are faithful have vanished from the human race. Last week, in studying the topic of goodness, we said that for something to be good, it has to be in alignment with its purpose, with its intent. Every stage of creation in the Genesis 1 narrative is good, 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 very good, because it's in alignment with God's intentions and design for it. This week, we could say that to be faithful is to steadfastly move toward that which is good. Thinking about the formative nature of institutions, the the formative nature of our callings, to be faithful is to steadfastly move toward that which is good. And Paul says, in the life of the person who's put faith in Jesus Christ, one in whom the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells, the spirit manifests its presence by creating people who are characterized by faithfulness, people who steadfastly move toward that which is good. Layering this with the language of institutions, we could say a faithful parent strives to be shaped by the demands and the calling of parenthood as God ordained. A faithful pastor strives to heed the call to correctly handle the word of truth and to shepherd the flock of Jesus Christ under his leadership. A faithful politician, help Lord for no one is faithful anymore, strives to embody the virtues and execute the responsibilities of her or his office. And a faithful follower of Jesus is is one who takes up his invitation to deny themselves and to take up our cross and follow him as one who heeds his invitation to remain in him as he remains in us as the source of our fruitfulness. As we go to the Old Testament, faithfulness is a concept that's intricately tied to the covenant that God made with the people of Israel. Uh, It's both our response to God's covenant and also God's commitment to the covenant he made with the people. Faithfulness shows up a lot. This is Genesis 24-27. Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. Those two go hand in hand a lot in the Old Testament, kindness and faithfulness. This is Psalm 89, 33 and 34. I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Psalm 98, 3. God has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Isaiah 61, 8. I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, my steadfast resolution toward the good, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. And then here's one that you've probably not consciously noticed a lot from Habakkuk. It turns out to be an important text in the New Testament. 
Habakkuk 2.4, see the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. This text, Paul picks up two times in the New Testament. One is in Romans chapter 1, he quotes it. The other is here in the book of Galatians. And there's a really interesting dynamic going on here surrounding the word faithfulness, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, in in the, the New International Version, Habakkuk 2.4 says, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. But when Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 1, well, you'll just see how it's slightly different. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, now quoting Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. Well, is it by faithfulness, by his faithfulness, or is it by our faith? I, I preached about this in, I don't know, talking about some book of the Bible last year. It was, I think it was a pretty good sermon. I just don't remember what it was. <laughs> but there's a really important nuance here. In, in one case, the righteous will live by his faithfulness. The emphasis is on him and his faithfulness and what he has done for us. And here we have, by faith, our response to his faithfulness. The emphasis is on me and what I do. And it turns out the words used for faithfulness in the Old and the New Testament have a lot of flexibility to them. In the Old Testament, it's emeth and amuna. Think about congregation b'nai amuna here in Tulsa, faithfulness or faith. Uh, in the New Testament, it's the word pistis in Greek. And there's really no difference practically. There's not another word distinguishing faith and faithfulness. The context clarifies its meaning, which makes it interesting when we read this same verse, verse 17, in the New American Standard version of it. In it, the gospel, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous one will live by faith. It says the gospel reveals righteousness from faith to faith, that faith begets faith. His faithfulness spawns on our faith in him. The, God's, the gospel trains us to operate in response to his faithfulness by trusting in it. It starts from his faithful way of acting toward us, but it results in our own faithful way of being present in the world as his beloved. His faithfulness begets our faith. Uh, somebody said, I don't know who originally said it, but it really wisely that we tend to become what, like what we behold the things that we meditate on, the things that get our attention, we tend to become like those things, which is why we tell our children that who you pick to be your friends is so very important. But it also matters for each of us who have resolved to follow Jesus that what gets the attention in our brains and in our hearts shapes us. And as we contemplate the faithfulness of God toward us, it begets a faithful response on our part because we become like what we behold. Now, so many of us struggle to embody faithfulness or even think it's possible because we've seen so few living examples of it. Others of us are spoiled in the opposite direction, uh, where we have so many examples of faithfulness. But for some of us, we struggle to think that kind of life is even possible because the most important people in our world in our formative years weren't like that. And following their example, we know how to be vindictive, we know how to be self-interested. We, we have to only look at our parents or our friends or we look at the celebrities that we pay a lot of attention to. But, but who is truly trustworthy? Who's faithful? 
Who's resolutely on a journey toward goodness? Is this something that's even possible? How can I and how can you be a faithful woman and man of God? I want to give four encouragements this morning, ways that we can steadfastly move toward goodness, ways that we can be faithful men and women. The first one is to ask the Lord to restore your faith in faithfulness. Look, if your parents weren't faithful to each other, it, it, it introduces into your vocabulary like the, the idea that to be faithful is not a thing. If you've lost faith or if you've had a spouse who's left you or was unfaithful to you, you may have lost your capacity to believe that anyone can be faithful anymore. When mom or dad wasn't that way, when key people weren't that way, when people who should be trustworthy weren't, it's difficult to believe that faithfulness is an option that's on the table. Or not wanting to let others down, you're reluctant to enter into commitments because you're terrified that you're going to act out what was modeled for you. We all feel like that from time to time. There have been moments where I have wondered, can you faithfully end your tenure as a pastor without a scandal? It's like, golly, the names that we associate with integrity, with leadership, with faithfulness, with trustworthiness, the people that's like, I want to model my life after them when it's like person after person after person, you say, help, Lord, the, those who are faithful have vanished from the human race. We all feel like that from time to time, but we mustn't succumb to that kind of faithfulness. Many of us need to ask, Lord, would you restore my faith that it's possible to be a faithful person? Would you restore my capacity to steadfastly move toward the good and believe that you are able to carry me for the duration of our lives on that kind of journey? We need to ask the Lord to restore our faith and faithfulness. The second encouragement I would give you, thinking about the, 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 lane, the language and the framework from Levin, is to embrace the formational nature of the roles that you play. To embrace the formational nature of the roles that you play. So take inventory of your life right now. Think about the roles that you play in the lives of other people. You might think about the role that you play within your family. You are a, a son or a daughter. You are a, a spouse. You are an in-law. Uh, you are a parent. Think about the role you play as a friend. Friendship is, plays an important role as in an institution in our lives. Think about the vocational roles that you play or the civic roles that you play. Embracing the formational nature of the roles we play invites us to ask the question, okay, what is a faithful version of this? So if you're a parent, what, what, what does a faithful parent look like? There was a moment um, a couple of years ago where... Uh, I got a phone call that I was not prepared for, and I thought, I, I, this was literally the question I was texting to Emily and to one of my dear friends. I just said, hey, here's the question I'm trying to answer. What would a great pastor do in this moment? And if you have an answer, tell me. <laughs> but it's what Levin said, given my role, how should I act in this scenario? What's a faithful parent do in this scenario? Okay, therefore, what should I do? If you're a friend... What does a faithful friendship look like? And then, given my role as friend to this person, what should I do? 
You're part of a church. You say, given my membership, my belonging to this church, what does faithful belonging and membership in a church look like? And then, given my role as a part of the fabric of this community, what should I do? The institutions that we inhabit, and some of you object to that word institution, but hear me generously. The institutions we inhabit can shape us, and sometimes they can even save our lives if we'll let them. I have a really close friend who is in vocational ministry, and he has said to me just in candor that there's a decent chance that he wouldn't even be a Christian if he weren't in ministry. Now, some of you would hear that and say, well, gosh, that is inauthentic. It's like, well, maybe so. But he was was reflecting that he has this proclivity to wander and that being in vocational ministry has been like a tether for him that has kept him in the conversation. It's like prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it by thy courts above. I feel this inclination of mine to run away, so tether me close. What I loved about what my friend was saying is, is in his own way, he was acknowledging that his participation, his role within the institution had a formational effect on his character and on his belief. And the same thing is true for us. Those who are married, I can imagine, would be making very different choices in life if you were not married. But I will speak for myself, and I know I am so much of a better person because of the role that I play in marriage and in proximity to Emily Odom. Embrace the formational opportunities of the role you play in institutions. The third thing I want to encourage and challenge you with is to fill your imagination with examples of faithfulness. Uh, it's, it's not difficult to find examples of unfaithfulness, but fill your imagination with examples of faithfulness. Uh, right now in corporate prayer on Thursdays, we're praying through the book of Philippians, and I was struck by this passage in Philippians 3, where Paul said, join together in following my example, the gall of Paul to say that. Elsewhere, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. It says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So you've had unfortunate examples of unfaithfulness in your life by the influential people. Fill your imagination with the good. Last week, my first pastor mentor, Tom Harrison, retired after 29 years of ministry at Asbury, over 40 years in vocational ministry. And I love Tom very dearly. And one of the things I was appreciating this week thinking about faithfulness is Tom ended his whole career in ministry without a moral failure or a public scandal. Regularly worshiping in our church are Wade and Sandy Paschal. Wade was the longtime pastor of First United Methodist Church here in town and uh, another like 40-plus year pastor. And Wade and Sandy faithfully ended their careers serving the Lord Jesus without major public scandal or failure. I think you can do it. God's work in you, we can, we can steadfastly move toward the good for a lifetime. Not perfectly, but faithfully. You may not have had one, but there are faithful parents. There are faithful Christians. There are faithful people. And we need to learn from them and hear their stories. I was reading in, in uh, Hebrews 11 a lot I could say about faith and faithfulness from that text that I can't get into this morning, but I was thinking about Hebrews 11 as a kind of a hall of fame of faith or faithfulness. I thought, gosh, we have that in our church. 
And both people younger and older than me, we have people who have steadfastly moved toward the good in their lives. We need to fill our imagination with examples of their faithfulness. And then finally, we need to fix our eyes on the faithful one. I'm going to preach on the book of Hebrews for two months this fall. This comes from Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. It says, For this reason, Jesus had to be made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. A priest represents God to the people and the people to God. Jesus is our permanent, faithful high priest and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus, our faithful high priest, contends for us at the right hand of his Father despite our unfaithfulness. In the weakness and lack of faith in our prayers, he holds us in the strength of his prayers. In in our, our own righteousness, which is as dirty rags, according to the prophet, he gives us the gift of his righteousness. Because he is our faithful high priest. As we behold him, we will become like him. May the Lord restore our capacity to have faith and faithfulness. May we throw ourselves completely banking on his faithfulness. May he fill us with his spirit and work in our hearts in such a way that we we resolutely and steadfastly move toward the good. May we fill our imaginations with people who embody this kind of practical faithfulness as followers of Jesus. And may we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father where he can be our forever faithful high priest. Let's pray together. Quite simply today, I want to invite us to respond by asking the Lord to forgive us of stuff we need to confess and to fill us with his spirit. And so, Lord Jesus, as we stand in your presence and as we get ready to receive Holy Communion, we bring to the front of our minds now those ways in which we've blown it. Without shame, without hiding, we just name to you, Lord, here's where I need your forgiveness. And just name those things to the Lord. Jesus, we name our lack of faith, we name our willful sins, we name our rebellion against you. Remember how God's word says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus, we name to you that we've been unfaithful, but we are counting on your faithfulness toward us. Thank you that you forgive us. And Lord Jesus, we ask again that you would fill us with your spirit. Not by my, not, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. As we sink our roots deeply into you, Lord Jesus, would you cause your fruit to blossom in our lives? Would you cause us to be people who are characterized by love and manifested in our lives through these virtues ending in self-control? As we come and receive communion today, I pray that you pour out your spirit on us and on this bread and wine and make it be for us so much more than these ordinary elements, but a means to the Holy Spirit by which we are filled again with the life of God. Oh, Jesus, we love you and we honor you and trust you and pray in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship and community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.